Welcome everybody to the Synthetic Logic Podcast. We are live on Twitch TV. Yep. We are live on Facebook. Facebook. And, and as Nikos already uh, addressed the uh, the Twitch crowd on the Facebook, crowd, we are sexy sons of bitches. Yeah, yeah, we're beautiful. We're beautiful. We're yeah. beautiful. And what do beautiful people do, Nikos? They talk about movies like Blade <laughs> Runner. <laughs> we talk about whatever the hell we want. That, that's that's we very are true. That beautiful. That was very, very, very true. So yes, yeah. folks, on today's episode, we are going to talk about Blade Runner, not just the original movie from 1983, but the entire series as a whole, how it influenced people, and Nikos answers a very important question. Do androids dream of electric sheep? They do. the theme song is back because someone remembered to check the settings for the sample pad before we started the episode. We worked so hard on that theme song. We did, and it turned out (laughs) nice, too, and like, mmm, now I'm pumped, Mm. man. I'm super, super pumped. So, Nikos, man, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Um, Can I just talk about my shirt real quick? Yeah, I want to see that. Get get that out there. Put them out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got this when we went to Universal last time. It's the old school... All the old school rides and stuff. So that's cool. Just wanted to talk about that real quick. So we got what do we got on the shirt? We got ET, uh, ET, Back, uh, to, Back the to the Future. Future, Jaws. Looks like we got some monsters going on there. Uh, just all the old school rides that I don't believe any of these rides are here anymore. Yep. Uh, except for ET. I think ET is still there, but oh, nice. Uh, assuming all those. They got Frank- rides we used to love are going to be long gone. Yep, Frankenstein, King Frankenstein, Kong, there. King Kong. You know what's yeah. amazing? Like as a giant Castlevania fan, like all of those like monsters in that series, like the Mummy, Frankenstein. Yeah. Like, how did Universal not sue Konami for doing Castlevania? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like Dracula, you can kind of get away with because it's a. a I, I would assume it's public domain at this point because that novel was yeah. written like in the 1800s i think so kind of interesting the way it yeah, legal very works. very interesting because you know the story about um king kong and donkey kong right i uh, i actually um was it i'm listening i was listening to an audiobook yep. that was talking about the nintendo sega conflict and there was an entire chapter talking about uh donkey kong and and King Kong and trying to be sued. Yeah, Universal was yeah. like, no, you can't do that. It's a giant ape. He kidnaps a woman. He's on top of a building. Like, pay up, Nintendo. And they were able to make it yeah. work, right? Like, they, Yeah, they won that. I don't the, even think they... Yeah, Nintendo nothing. won. Nintendo won. Yeah. And, like, maybe, maybe that was why Universal didn't do anything with Castlevania. Because they're like, we've done this already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's not going to work in our favor or whatever. Yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> so what else is new and exciting on your end, man? What you been up to? 
Ah, man, just, you know, playing video games, watching movies, doing some um, some research for this podcast. I, I went back and I watched all the Blade Runner movies. Uh, I even read the book. Uh, so, I, you know, same old, same old man, but just um, trying to uh, broaden my, you know, my views on movies and video games. So how about yourself? What have you been up to? Same thing, uh, catching up on Blade Runner. You know, uh, I think out of the blue, I was just driving and I was like, you know what? We need to do an episode on Blade Runner because it's obviously one of our favorite like series uh, slash that movies. Was the most right? random text message. <laughs> you were just like, we're doing Blade Runner next episode. I was like, all right. Sounds- <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a favorite of mine. So it was fun this week to catch up yeah. on like some of it. I didn't catch up as much as I wanted to, um, but I think the busy, other man. thing that inspired it was uh, Blade Runner Black Lotus came out, which which we're going to talk about towards mm-hmm. the end of the episode, right? Um, and initially, both you and I watched it, weren't big fans, um, and then I went and watched the Japanese version of it and uh, finished the show. So we're going to be talking about that towards the end of the episode. But, uh, you know, same thing game-wise, you and I, as well as our good old friends Sean and Rick, uh, had a great Friday night, Call of Duty, Warzone, Rebirth, uh, some just... Multiple wins. Multiple wins, which always feels good. We finished the Mm -hmm. night out with a win, which was excellent. Uh, Man, that was just a blast, though. Like, I know people have their reservations about Warzone, and rightfully so, uh, because the game is a broken mess, but Rebirth is still okay. Yeah, Rebirth and Rebirth never never was broken. Yeah. It's just now that the other version is broken, the, I don't want to say quote-unquote sweaty players, now have come <laughs> to Rebirth, which has made it more difficult to win, and that's why I was so happy that we pulled off three wins uh, last night or two nights ago against people who probably play that game every day. I mean, we play, what, once a week? Pretty much, three, yeah. Four of us. Like, yeah. I, that's all I play Warzone. I, 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 when I, Fridays, hey, we're going to play Warzone with my buddies. That's yep. pretty much, pretty much it. So. Yep, exactly. It's very happy. And we usually come in like the top three, top five, like yeah. every time. So yeah, yeah. that's a pretty good feeling too. Because like you said, there are people that just spend hours upon uh, hours yeah. in that game. So I had fun with that. Um, you talked me into playing uh, Escape from Tarkov. Yes. Which uh, we played a little bit yesterday. Um, cool game. Uh, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll get more into that. Slower paced game for sure. What's your experience with Escape from Tarkov? Because obviously, you, you know, you, you got me hooked to, to pick it up. How did you so get I, into it? So I watch a lot of streamers. So I work from home now. Um, I'm part of the Champions Club. Dr. Disrespect for been uh, part of the Champions Club now for 19 months or something long, long wow. time. Uh, so he'll play with another streamer, Dr. Lupo. Oh, I don't okay. know if you've ever heard yeah, of Dr. Yeah, Lupo. Yeah, I've heard of Dr. Lupo, yep. Uh, he, he mains uh, Escape from Tarkov. Now he's kind of dabbling in other <laughs> games right now, but uh, from watching him and watching Doc, and uh, I really enjoy, as far as Escape from Tarkov goes, I really, really do enjoy the... Uh, mentality of Luke, you can lose it all in 10 seconds. It's like a roguelike, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. you have your NP, you have your, your player, you have your PMC character uh, that you go into. If you die, you lose it. You lose everything you found. If you've scaved the whole entire map for 40 minutes and your backpack's full and you get to the very last second and you die with one second left, you lose everything. So that's intriguing to me. Uh, and I, I just really like 
the slow pace. It's it's different. It's not a, a run and gun shooter. It's more of a methodical. I got to be quiet. I got to check my angles. I can't just be running around in the open like an asshole. You know, like it's a <laughs> it's a cool game. I, I really do enjoy it. and watching uh, Doctor Disrespect and Doctor Lupo play together really got me into it, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to keep going. Um, it's definitely a game that I've noticed that's definitely funner with someone. Not yeah. that it's not fun by yourself, because it is. I play it all the time. Just playing as your PMC, playing as your main character, playing with someone else is definitely more enjoyable. For sure, for sure. And having someone that um, has played the game, like already getting into it, like you helped me majorly like get into the game more. Yeah. Um, I do like long games, right, that do have a lot of education to get into and it's not necessarily yes. just given to you right mm -hmm. uh, but i know a lot of people that they'd be like like this thing's broken like it doesn't have like standard features which to be fair it yeah. is in beta right uh, but it was yeah, nice well, there's no uavs there's no maps yeah yeah like it, this is pure like survival instinct like yeah. kind of thing right so it was cool you kind of learning from you better know the map better have learned it exactly you're gonna be lost yeah <laughs> like yeah. yeah and know you know like you got to heal individual body parts and stuff your stomach can bleed yeah. your arms yeah. can bleed your legs can break like yeah. all like this certain stuff. meds only stop light bleeding some stop heavy bleeding stop some stop both some don't you know like you really got to be uh, strategic about what you carry in. It's really cool. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool for sure. So why don't we kick it off, get into our main yeah, topic man. and start talking about uh, Blade Runner. But before you can get into Blade Runner, you need to talk about what really inspired that in the yeah. first place. And that is Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream? Of electric of sheep. Electric sheep. Uh, I read this back in the 90s, probably around 93, 94, after the Blade Runner director's cut came to uh, VHS, basically. And Nikos just activated stealth mode. Um, so you can't see the book. You can for a little bit, but uh, he has the book in his hand there. And uh, Nikos, why don't you give us kind of the background? What what, it, what the hell is this, right? That's the first thing that people usually say when they hear the name, do androids dream of electric sheep? What's the synopsis? Yeah. Uh, so obviously this is a book written by Philip K. Dick, 1968. Uh, it's the novel that the movie Blade Runner obviously is originally based. Um, do you kind of want me to, well, how do you want me to go about this? You want me to just talk about the, the novel? Yeah. Talk about well, the what would you like to know, Michael? So, so it's been a long time for me, right? Um, kind of what I want to know is, you know, what's the, what's the general gist of the novel, right? Cause if I remember yeah. it's, is it multiple short stories or is it one main short story? It's essentially like almost two, two stories combined into one. Yep. Like it's two different, you, you, you kind of go into two different perspectives for a little bit. Uh, but it starts, you know, it takes place in the post-apocalyptic future, similar to uh, Blade Runner. Um, in 2021 is the year that the book is based in. Okay. Uh, I found out some cool information. It was originally based in 1992, but it was later changed to 2021 in like later editions. So originally when the book first came out, it was set in 1992, which I thought was pretty cool little tidbit of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, uh, the world is shaken up by the World War um, termi Terminus, I want to say. I want to say is how you pronounce it, which is kind of cool, which is uh, that wrestling show. That oh, yeah. Jonathan Grisham. And I, I was trying to figure out what that name was from. And I was like, when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, OK, well, there you go. <laughs> A little Blade Runner fan there. Yep. Um, 
but it's it's very similar. You know, it's uh, the main protagonist is bounty hunter Rick Deckard, same name character. You know, I mean, it's legitimately pulled. Uh, and he works for the San Francisco Police Department, and his job is to retire uh, replicants essentially or uh rogue androids they escaped mars to earth so if you're if you're going back to blade runner it's pretty much like almost the beginning i'd have to say it's very it's very similar uh i really do enjoy in the book however it starts uh the book starts with him and his wife and they're they're kind of talking about you know their lives and they have these things that essentially can change their mood and you can set it to like, oh, whatever, like 498 is uh, for his wife. He wanted to set it and it was like, you know, uh, I'm a happy wife and I love my husband and I obey my husband. Essentially something literally that. And it was just interesting to see like little things like that. It's like, okay, well, they have something that can instantly change your mood. Like what can instantly change my mood right now? Right. You know, my phone, right. my computer. I'm literally talking to you like – the technology that he talks about in 1968 is creepily like Available similar yeah. to what we have right now. Yeah. It's maybe a little more advanced. I can't like, you know, just press a button and my brain goes into like some, I'm happy, you know, but they make pills for that. You know, there's other things that are happening nowadays that, that are similar to that. So right. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but the main point of the book and it kind of goes back to the title is do android stream of electric sheep now the reason that's it's called that is because uh there's been heavy nuclear fallout and owning a pet is very important it's considered like your high society like if you don't have a pet you're essentially you know you're you're, you're garbage. People look down on you. So they ha uh, Deckard and his wife have an electric sheep up on their roof that they take care of. Uh, no one knows that it's an electric. It's not man-made. People think it's real. It's so good. Um, and his neighbor actually ends up finding out that the sheep is not real. And it, it's a big deal for him because, like I said, you know, you're looked down upon if you're not able to express empathy as far as owning an animal. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I mean, the main characters are Rachel. So I mean, similar names, a lot of the similarities continue throughout the book. Uh, the parallels are all very, very similar. He's a bounty hunter. Like I said, he he's out to, to get rid of the replicants. So I mean, the book is... I don't know. It's only 200 pages, so no. it doesn't get into too much crazy detail. Like, I'm interested to see – I want to re really really like to talk to Ridley Scott and kind of figure out, like, what did he read in this to make this entire world of Blade Runner? Because as much detail as they do go into, it is an amazing accomplishment for him to take this 200-page novel and create such an amazing franchise – Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was long and rambling. Sorry about no, that. I think that was really good. Um, <laughs> you know, not having read the book in God, 20, geez, almost 25, 26 years. Like I forgot about the sheep. Right. I forgot that yeah. about that whole point uh, and animals being an important thing, because that does like it's not touched on as heavily as it is. Um, in the book is, is it Blade Runner, right? Blade Runner, like there's, it, it always comes up, right? Um, anytime anyone sees an animal, 
Like, is that real? They always ask, like, is that yep. real? And everyone's like, are you stupid? No, it's not real. <laughs> yeah. And like in this movie, they use they even, you know, they use the Voight comp machines to figure out if you're a replicant. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of this it, similarities are there between the book and the movie. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the, sure. the start of the franchise, basically. So Blade Runner released in 1983. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, uh, an incredible sci-fi movie that was mostly designed, well, pretty much was designed with practical effects, right? If you yes. were to pop this movie into your Blu-ray player or stream it and you watch the opening sequence of uh, this city flyby, this futuristic city flyby with uh, floating screens, uh, spinners, vehicles that yeah. basically fly in the air, you would think that this is an early form of computer graphics. It is not. This is mm -hmm. all filmed uh, practical uh, film reels over film reels, basically, to create those effects, the flames shooting out of the top of the towers. Um, there, you know, there's a little scene that I want to talk about, like you said, with the practical effects. It's one of like uh, where they pick up uh, Deckard, at yep. the beginning and he's being flown away and it's the shot of Harrison Ford like through the glass of the car. Yeah. And like the uh, the rain and like the lights like it's uh, you think you would look at that like you said and be like oh that's a cool visual effect. But no they got that. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so. And this is I think from what I understand it is one of the last movies in Hollywood around this time where practical effects um, to this degree were really used. You know, Obviously you had uh, Return of the Jedi, I think, uh, mm -hmm. the same year or either the year before uh, where Lucas used practical effects. But you really start seeing that start to go away as movies towards the mid to late 80s really start yeah. using computer graphics. Well, look at Ghostbusters. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that's, you know, uh, a lot of the set design is real, but like that's all post effects. They're proton packs. Like that's like one of like that's 1984. So that's not too long. after. Yeah, that's that, like a year after. Yeah. Starting to see like insane computer graphics yeah yeah which yeah. which i mean back then was mind-blowing but um if you watched ghostbusters and you watched blade runner just based on that opening scene you would say that they were designed using computer effects yes and, 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 and it's not which is, is just absolutely mind-blowing but uh much like android's dream of electric sheep uh the setting kind of is that uh, earth is still there uh but pretty much it is in a bad state right um parts of the world it's always raining it's always dark dingy uh even if the sun is out there like the world is just kind of covered in this smog essentially right so this yeah. takes place in la um in a you know dystopian kind of future and there is off-world colonies right and mm -hmm. basically in the future um humans have designed replicants and replicants were basically made uh, to do off-world labor. I mean, they were a new form of slaves, right? So you could have these perfect humans go off-world in these terrible conditions uh, where they could do the work, um, you know, maybe like mining bots or yeah. uh, trained killers or soldiers or whatever, right? Um, the, basically slave labor and they're designed so that they have a, a limited purpose in life. They have a limited lifetime before yeah, basically they, they pass away. Right. Yep. Um, but if you met one in person, 
um, especially the more advanced models, which I believe uh, Nexus 6 basically Nexus is 6. kind of yep. the, the latest and greatest model or or the one that's really established in Blade Runner. Like you would have no way of knowing whether or not they're an actual human or if they're a replicant. So that's yeah. where the Blade Runners come in, right? Blade Runners, their job is basically to work um, in conjunction with the police force. And their job is to, uh, instead of killing replicants, right? You see this in kind of the opening scroll of Blade Runner. Their mission is to retire them, which... Retire them. Yeah, which basically yeah. is outright murder, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially... No empathy. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to shoot you cold blood. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... Um, this movie starts out that you've had, I think it is a total of six replicants that um, were in Mars. They were on Mars and they managed to escape. Two of them get um, killed basically before they even get off planet. They get yep. like electrified um, and the four that make it uh, come back to Earth, which one of the major questions is, well, these replicants are trying to get away from being killed. Why would they come back to Earth? Right. So the movie opens up with uh, a Blade Runner, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they're, they're, they're taking the, the test that will basically yep. say, okay, are you a replicant or not? So they'll ask really specific, really kind of like off-kilter questions. Yeah. Um, so he starts talking to this individual and right away, like you can tell that the person he's talking to is just something, something's off about the guy, right? But you can't tell, yeah. is he a replicant? Or is he just like this really skittish, maybe not all there kind of guy? Uh, yeah. And the Blade Runner starts asking him, like, you know, you see a tortoise in the the desert. You decide not to help him. And right away. Right. Why? Yeah. He's like, why? Yeah. You know, why would I do that? Like, I, I wouldn't do that. Like, well, it's just a theoretical question. Right. Um, and eventually what happens is as soon as uh, the Blade Runner asks the guy about his mother. Right. He goes, let me tell you about my mother and boom just boom. blows the guy away right yep. and that kind of sets the tone for this movie uh, nikos when was the first time you saw blade runner oh man i probably saw not even like because I, I wanted to talk about the different copies yeah once we get to that but i think the very first version is just was like the original version of blade runner no final director's whatever version and that was probably like 2000 okay i was probably like 13 or 14 uh i, I think i might have rented it from blockbuster to be honest with you nice nice yeah for me yep. uh it was a movie my dad rented he rented the original version late in the 80s um so blade runner came out in 1983 came out on vhs around the same year right um and he watched it in the 80s and then I don't think I watched the whole thing when he originally first watched it, right? Because it was yeah. it had some gruesome scenes in it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But he eventually rented it again, and this was around 1993. And I asked him, you know, why did you rent this again? And he said that uh, this was actually the director's cut version, which adds up. So the original Blade Runner released 1983. The director's cut was released in 1993, about 10 years later, uh, that contained some additional uh, scenes and changes that uh yeah we'll, we'll talk about some of the differences in those and just how it so then i, I saw the director's cut then okay probably. okay so you probably saw the director's cut like me i watched the director's cut um in full or at least that's my full memory of seeing that whole movie right and just mm -hmm. being blown away by that universe and probably about i don't know two three years later um i would start working at the video store 
and really, really getting into movies and yeah. really renting both copies, the original cut of Blade, of Blade Runner and the director's cut, watching both and really understanding, like, what's the differences? What makes a director's cut? In fact, I think Blade Runner was the first movie that the word director's cut yeah. entered my lexicon. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, I'd have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting yeah. aspect there. We'll touch a little bit more on that as well with the different cuts. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the start of Blade Runner in terms of, uh, you know, what's going on. And, and Nikos, why don't you kind of take us through like the, the next couple parts of the movie? Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, you have the four different replicates. You have, uh, I believe it's Roy. Yep. Batty. Yep. You have uh, Zohora and you have Priest. Uh, and what really happens after that is Rick Deckard's kind of, uh, just hanging out, eating some, uh, eating some, I don't want to say like Asian food (laughs) and, uh, he's picked up by essentially his old boss has, has called him in, uh, for one last duty. Yeah. And he doesn't have a choice. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't have a choice essentially. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where I get into that scene where you're talking about the practical effects. There's a really cool scene, that part actually, where he gets picked up where there's no talking. Like there's a part where you see inside the vehicle and the characters are talking, but you don't hear that part. You just hear the score. And I I really like this part of the movie, especially early on. There's a lot of scenes like a minute, minute and a half where there's no talking and it's just score and it's just visuals it's beautiful and it's it the early part of the movie sets the tone for the rest because it looks so beautiful but then like you said it's gonna get pretty violent here yeah pretty quick so could let's you, set the tone could you imagine trying to work on the set of this movie because here's the thing oh. guys it's practical effects so you you have to watch it to really understand it but you're talking about constantly dark lots of fog rain the the movie is there's rain like 90% of the time during this movie yeah. right like could you imagine having to work in that kind of environment day after day after day like you'd get sick yeah 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 it would be yeah it would be yeah because it's it was pretty large scale like i'm actually looking they called it ridleyville yeah <laughs> and it's actually the burbank studios in new york and it's a you should see this like it's gigantic the set it's yeah. huge yeah. like like you said it gets sick but yeah. i wouldn't want to leave like i'd be that extra getting caught in like a, a camera shot like they'd be panning and i'd be like just staring at the practical <laughs> effect like what the hell is this asshole doing get him out of the shot <laughs> now we have to rerun this again and yeah, now we have to rerun this whole movie it's harrison's not gonna come out of his trailer yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yes, if if we didn't state that uh, the leading character in this, the headliner, of course, um, Harrison Ford, right, just kind of off his Indiana Jones, um, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, right? This was a a role for him outside of the Han Solo kind of thing, but not too far off still in this sci fi world. But he plays uh, a, a Blade Runner. Right. And like Nico said, his boss says we've got four uh, replicants that made their way back to Earth and we need you to retire them. So you got to start figuring this stuff out. And he's kind of like pushing back, like I'm retired, I don't want to do this. And then he shows him the video of the other Blade Runner being killed by Leon. Yep, Leon, that's his name. Yep. Uh, And that's where his boss kind of tells him, hey, I want you to go retire these people. Yeah. Uh, But first he, his boss asks him, 
to go to the Tyrell Corporation now. Uh, Eldon Tyrell, he is the CEO of the Tyrell Corporation who created the replicants. And it's essentially – I don't want to say he's like the president, but he's essentially one of the most powerful – human beings alive yeah he, he's the guy who basically you know put together everything uh, the baseline yeah. for the replicants right um and he is introduced and you know richard deckard is is told you know go to the tyrell corporation uh because we want you to uh run the the vote cop test on one of his replicants that he has there uh yep. which going into the office he goes up into this huge building beautiful this huge, set piece. Uh, very amazing set piece like just beautiful cinematics there water reflecting yeah. off the walls and everything uh the sun coming through the building and he meets um rachel right mm-hmm. which um he sees an owl this owl is flying through and that's one of the first times that you'll see the animal thing come in right um yep. he goes that owl is amazing like is it real and rachel's like no and he's no. like i bet yep. it's expensive though right and she was like very expensive uh so they talk for a little bit right um and he meets tyrell and tyrell yep. says um i hear i understand you're here to uh, run this test right on on one of my replicants but i want a negative test first yeah. And Deckard's just kind of like, what the hell is that going to prove? That? Right. Yeah. And he was like, you know, just just entertain me. Do it with Rachel here. Uh, um, and ah. <laughs> so he starts the test on Rachel, which it's um, I would love to get a replica of this thing of the one cop test. I oh, think it'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah that'd be cool. It, it'd be extremely cool. But um, this basically looks at the, the eyes, the cornea, the retina, right. And it'll look at reactions based on questions uh, to tell whether or not this, uh, the subject that you're interviewing is a replicant. So um, he is under the impression that Rachel is a human at mm. first, a hundred questions later though, Right. Yep. Which typically you can figure out if someone's a replicant and with 10 to 20. Yep. He figures out that she's a replicant, but he doesn't tell her become, because he comes to the understanding that she doesn't know she that doesn't she's a know. replicant. She has no idea. And Tyrell's is kind of like, you know, Rachel, she's a million this? percent convinced that she's an actual human being. Absolutely. With actual memories, vivid Everything. memories, Everything. detailed memories. Yeah. 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 Which it turns out, right that um, all her memories actually comes from Tyrell's niece, I think it is. Yes, absolutely. Um, pictures. Even the, the pictures and everything. Everything, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, Tyrell's impressed, right? And he's like, yep. oh, man, like, um, usually how many questions has taken, you know, Deckard states, like, it's 100, right? And he's like, you know, she she doesn't know that she isn't human. And he's like, no. And he's kind of a, he, he kind of thinks it's hilarious, right? Yeah, like yeah, kind yeah. of that, like mad professor kind of thing. Like how yeah. terrible that this woman thinks she's real and she's a replicant, right? She doesn't put two and yep. two together. Um, but this kind of sparks um, this ongoing relationship between Rachel and Deckard because Rachel does realize that something is very, very off about yeah. this whole situation, right? And actually follows him to his apartment. Yeah, essentially breaks in. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I think she like ambushes him. Is it in the elevator, basically? Yeah, yeah, and, essentially. And hats off to Harrison Ford's acting, right? Because it looks like like when she pops out, like it looked like he crapped his pants. Yeah. He's like, oh, my God, like to the point where he's actually like shaking. Right. Which makes me wonder if they didn't tell him that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. you know, it was like a reaction. Yeah. 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 So. Um, you know, they kind of cover things in the apartment really quick where she's like, you know, you think I'm a replicant. And he's like, you know, I, I hate to tell you, sweetheart, but you, you are. are like, yeah, he starts running her through like these memories. Right. Like, I forget what he asked her. I think it's something about a spider web, like outside something the house. About a spider web. And then this uh, essentially the eggs open up and they eat the mother. Yeah. Yeah. And she talks about how the, all the little spiders went and ate the bigger spider. Yep. Yep. And they're basically. And then he even talks like detailed about like, you remember this and you remember this and you remember this. And she's like, yeah. She goes, those are all made up. Yep. None of that's real. Yep. And then she gets upset. Right. And he's like, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm just, just a joke. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, no, I'm really sorry. And she leaves. Right. Which, yeah, you know, yeah. obviously this guy just confirmingly crushed yeah, her yeah. very existence. And he's like, well, he says something later. Like, you know, I've never had a woman leave me like that, especially when I'm trying to be charming. It's like, dude, you are not yeah. charming about this. <laughs> Maybe read the definition of charming real quick. <laughs> I know it's 2021 and it's like apocalyptic, but like, come on. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So how does Richard get on the hunt for the uh, the first replicant, the first rogue replicant? Well, I know that they search uh, Leon's apartment. Yep. And that's where they find all of his pictures yep. that he had originally gone back there to see. Uh, and they have a little scene between him and Batty where Batty doesn't look too, too happy with him. Yep. That he... Yeah. Almost got caught by the police. Did you get your pictures that you love yeah. so much? No, somebody was no. there. Someone was there. Police. So so from there, uh, which Lee, so before he starts hunting these people down, uh, Roy and Leon uh, go to the eye manufacturing laboratory. Yep. And that's where they learn about uh J.F. Sebastian, I believe his name. Yep. Uh, who was the one who works closely with Tyrell. Yep. Yep. And why are they back? Why yep. Why are these replicants back on Earth? Why did they come back? What is their purpose? Well, they want to get to. Well, they they want to get to Tyrell. Essentially, yeah. 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 But why? Why do they? Why do they want to meet their career? What What's behind that? Do you recall? You're going to have to answer that one for me. Okay, so the whole point, right, is why would these replicants come back to Earth, a place where they know they'll actively be hunted? And the key with the Nexus 6 models is they only last for four years. Four they years. They have a four-year yep. lifespan, right? Mm -hmm. um, and these Nexus 6, like, they have emotions, right? Much like yeah. any human, they don't want to die. And they're very aware of the fact that they have this timeline that's ticking, right? And the the only thing they can think of that can extend their lives out is if they can meet Tyrell, their creator, 
then there probably has to be a way because he's the creator, right? That he can give them more life, which we'll get into like uh, that conversation because that plays a big impact to the end of the movie too. Um, But that's, that's why they're there, right? So they're trying to find a way to get to the head of the Tyrell corporation, their creator, but they need an in, right? They just can't like walk through the front doors and get access to this guy. They have to figure out a way to get to it. So they start with, uh, like you said, the eye doctor, right? That, this, yep. in this like cold like housing warehouse thing yeah. um and they eventually uh find out cool that practical effects yeah the way. very cool practical effects and they get in touch uh or they don't really get in touch but they talk to this guy and say you know who can get us an in basically and they talk yep. about sebastian which sebastian is responsible for uh the genetic design behind yep. the replicants um and is he a part of the memories too does he do you recall does he help with the memories i think he's just the genetic designer okay i don't think he did much with the memories okay yep yep excellent so um that's how they get their lead which enters our our first replicant that gets retired which one is that that's not pris that's uh uh zahora zahora yeah so there's this interesting lead up to how deckard like finds where she's at yep. basically right so one he gets the pictures um and using this enhancement device he's able to to get a picture of one of the replicants in a tub really cool yep. scene because he can like go beyond the realms of like a regular physical photo right he could enhance and pull things and he also finds a piece of snake skin in a tub yep. that he pulls out so he goes to the equivalent of chinatown basically talking to um all the jewelers, because doesn't he think it's like a, a, a fake fingernail at first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she, you know, he meets this lady, talks to her there, and she's like, now this is a snake skin. Like, okay, well, who sells this? And she's like, oh, this guy down right down the street. So basically, Deckard meets this guy that sells uh, fake snakes, replicant snakes. And, you know, the guy's like, oh, I, I don't have anything to do with that. And Deckard basically yeah. says, like, I'll kill you if you don't tell me what's going on. <laughs> So he points him to a bar, which uh, Nico. There's a lot of threatening to kill people. Yeah, big time, big time. So uh, this basically takes Richard to the this bar, right, uh, where he oddly calls Rachel and kind of like asks her out on a date. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, yeah. why don't you come down here kind of thing, right? And she's like, those kind of places are free because it's like a trashy bar, essentially. Yeah. And she's like, I don't come well, to yeah. those places. And he's well, it's like, like a stri- it was a strip club. Yeah, it's a strip club. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't, yeah. She's like, you know, I don't go down to those places. He's like, well, we can go to somewhere else. And she just hangs up on him, right? Yeah. So you assume that's yeah. kind of uh, kind of the end of it, basically. Uh, so uh, what happens next, Nikos? Uh, one second. Sorry. <laughs> Um, he kills her. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an awesome fight scene where he just gets his ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. He he kind of goes like behind the scenes, saying that uh, you know yeah. he's there for like employee benefits to make sure like you know they're not With getting horrible mistreated. Accent. Horrible accent, like. It, just hilarious it's like right? going in and out too like yeah. he's not even convincing with his accent yeah he's like talking normal then he has like a crazy southern accent yeah but he gets in there um the replicant it like is like already like who the hell is this guy goes in to yeah. take a she goes in to take a shower and then he finds the match with like the 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 snake skin or the dress yep. or whatever it was basically so he's got his match 
and he's getting ready to kill her, but she's already on the up and up. Right. So um, she makes a run for it, but not before like almost killing him. Right. Like she's like strangling yep. him with his tie. Like, yeah. And like puts him in like a, like a choke hole in her legs. That's that scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. Like choking him out. Yep. Yep. Um, but someone comes in. So she starts fleeing and you get this amazing yep. run through the city. Yes. As uh, she's Beautiful. trying to flee. Once right. Again. Yeah. And she's trying to pl- uh, hide in plain sight. Right. Um, yep. As he's running through the streets. But he gets her and you get your first gruesome like gunning down of a replicant as she's like fleeing. Right. Yeah. And like in full sprint in full sprint. And he blows her away from the distance. She's smashing through all these different like just, store displays and slow yeah. motion. All the plain glass and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So dead. Um, basically he just retired his first replicant, right? Cops come. Um, and little does he know is that, uh, Rachel, Rachel is actually among the crowd. She decided to come out, you know, to, to talk with them or have a date, whatever they were going to do. Right. Um, and he sees her and he goes to try to find her, but instead he runs into who's, I keep forgetting his name. Leon. Leon. He runs into Leon and Leon watched him blow away his Android friend and he is pissed. Um, So he pretty much also beats the crap out of Deckard. Deckard not having a great day today um, and is about to meet his demise when he is saved by Rachel. By Rachel. Shoots him in the head. Yeah. Yeah. And thus begins kind of this amazing relationship where Deckard is forced to fall in love with an android basically well it's where they kind of have their first like passionate yeah kiss together yep it's like a very much like a rachel's like doesn't want it but wants it he wants it but doesn't want. i know it's like one of those very passionate kisses and it's a really cool uh score that's done during that scene yeah that the whole movie score to that is just fantastic right yep um, and, and to kind of move forward, uh, we get to uh, towards the end of the movie. Um, Batty does finally get his opportunity to meet Tyrell uh, using yes. Sebastian, right? Uh, because yeah. Sebastian she's and Tyrell fools yeah. Sebastian into thinking that she's a wanderer. Gets brought into her huge, he get into his huge mansion that yep. he has all for himself. Yep. Uh, that ends up turning out to be like he, they. Tr- Trick him, kill him, take over uh, his his place as like their headquarters. Yep. 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 So uh, Tyrell and Sebastian play a chess game. And yep. uh, I think Sebastian's like only beat him once before, but they got an active game going. And that is the the tool they use to lure Tyrell into getting Sebastian and Batty up into the main chambers mm-hmm. where Tyrell is. Because um, obviously being an android, like... Uh, Batty is super smart, right? Mm-hmm. So he's able to really get an idea of what the chess game is because obviously Sebastian is playing a version of it at home and he yeah. tells him how to beat him. And of course, Tyrell instantly, re- I'm impressed, right? By Sebastian's suddenly uh, eureka moment, tells him to come up there. And it, this is a, a really like tense scene. Like this is the scene that stuck out to most to me the first time I saw this movie. Um, so, you know, instantly Sebastian and uh, Batty come in and Tyrell sees Batty and he's like, what took you so long? Basically, yeah. like, I thought you would come here for sure. Um, and 
here you have this robot like meeting its creator and uh batty knows that he's close to the end of his life he's already like close to the four-year mark and tyrell asks him what he wants and he says basically an extension of life like i I want more life yeah Yeah. i I fear death um and tyrell basically tells him like it's just not possible and Baddie's yep. already come up with all these like solutions, right? And Tyrell's like, "Nope, we tried it, we tried it, we tried it, tried we tried it. it. Yep. We can't do it. Sorry." While like he like while he's telling him no, he's like complimenting him. Yeah. Telling Roy like, "Oh, but you're such an advanced design and you were you did such so much in your short life that like was basically trying to tell him like, "Oh yeah, you lived your purpose." Yeah. Yeah, so here his creator has no answers for him, right? And barely kind of gives a shit so what does batty do he kills him he he literally puts his thumbs through his, his, eyes, his eyes and kills him yep. um and then uh sebastian meets his end too though it's yep. not seen on camera yeah, yeah that's that's told off yeah basically basically uh deckard's boss brian tells him yeah you know we found sebastian he's dead <laughs> and i can't remember because there's been so many cuts of this film i want to say that the original cut actually showed him killing sebastian like strangling so. him but i can't remember yeah um so being a huge fan of this movie i got into like the extended scenes and the different cuts and and what um originally was pegged to happen apparently um one of the original concepts for that scene was that Batty killed Tyrell and found out that he was a replicant. Oh, that Tyrell was a replicant? Tyrell was a replicant. And they find out that there is one more floor above Tyrell's office. And when they go up to the next floor, they find the real Tyrell and he's been dead for years. Oh, okay. So the replicant killed him, took over. That's cool. Kind of like he... uh, basically knew he was going to die so he made this replicant like in his yeah. perfect image to make to, to keep things going but yeah. I, obviously they went away from that but so i'm kind of glad they did yeah yeah that yeah, would have yeah. been a twist just for a twist for no reason yeah yeah so agreed t- t- tell us about the final scenes in this movie nikos uh so obviously they return to Sebastian's apartment, which is now like essentially the replicant lair. Yep. <laughs> They've turned it into some crazy, crazy thing. Uh, Rick Deckard is ambushed by Pre, but uh, after I don't want to say it's a short fight, but you know the fight's pretty quick. He kills her. Yeah, yeah, he ends up killing her. So that's what three of the four replicants down, yep. one to go. Yep. Uh, Obviously, Roy's body is failing him. You can tell, like, it's he's reaching, like, he has like minutes left in his life. Um, and he ends up chasing Deckard through the building up onto the roof. Uh, and Rick Deckard en- actually ends up kind of like hanging there. <laughs> and Roy uh, essentially saves him. Yep. And. Before Roy dies, he delivers an epic monologue that is probably well, probably the most famous scene in the movie. Yeah, would you have to say? I would say so. Monologue. Yeah, uh, where I flashed all over our Instagram, uh, and the famous quote: "All these moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain." Uh, and that's the. I mean, that's the end of the movie. Uh, essentially, the, his body gives up and dies. Roy dies. Yeah, it's 
like interesting, right? Because here these replicants came back yep. um, with a mission to extend their lives, right? And he, uh, Roy is in front of uh, Deckard, who's killed all his friends. Uh, but Batty has made it to the point where he could, he met his creator and found out his creator wouldn't give him life, couldn't yeah. extend his life out, right? And basically could give a shit, and he killed him for it. Um, and Batty just as easily could have ended Decker's life at any yep. time, really, not Anytime. even before they got on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, you can tell at the end, like, Batty's just like, I'm, I'm on my last legs here. He goes nuts. Like, he's howling yeah. like a wolf. He's, yeah. you know, running all over the place. Like, he's just toying with Deckard at this point. And suddenly he sees that moment where, where Deckard is hanging and he comes back to that moment of Tyrell where he thinks my creator could do nothing to extend my life. But now in my last moments as a replicant, I can do my most human thing ever in my very last moments and spare the life of this human yep. where my Show creator, empathy. yeah, where my creator could not. Right. Yep. And that's literally like his last 60 seconds before he just shuts down in this epic scene of rain and, and yep. Decker just kind of sits there. And it's um, this is where like the, the many cuts are very important for this film because Roy says his last line and Decker just kind of sits and watches. And it's a good like minute and a half scene of Decker yeah. just processing stuff. Right. And realizing like what just happened and that this replicant saved his life and now twice. Right. He's been saved by the very things that he's been meaning to kill twice in one day, first by Rachel. Now, now basically by Batty. Um, and it, it's just like this moment for not only Deckard to contemplate what just happened, but for yeah. the viewers too, right. Like if yeah. they were put in that situation. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I love the long long like yeah. silences i love the long breaks where it's just score yeah where it forces you to like pretty much like think about the last like 60 seconds yep. like it forces you to think in the small little bubble of like what the hell just happened yeah and it's cool and i love it you can really process different emotions and whatnot absolutely you know the the original cut um when they were doing this movie they had Harrison Ford come in and do all these voiceovers for certain mm. scenes um, to make it more of kind of like a noir de detective story. I mean, this movie is yeah. very noir, uh, yeah. but the original cut made it even more so. And uh, during this final scene, where in the final cut, it's like silence and just the great score. They have him talk over it. And the delivery is just so bad and makes no sense. And so yeah. obvious, like, well, I don't know why Batty didn't decide to kill me, but blah, 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 blah. Um, and there's a reason why the delivery is so bad, because Harrison Ford was pissed, pissed yeah. that um, not uh, the director, but the studio had him come back in and basically try to fix this fix. movie. Right. He did not want to be there. And he was even like. This is totally ruining the whole aspect of the movie, right? They have wrong with that movie. Yeah, like the final cut has so much extra stuff. They actually have some of the voiceover sessions of him doing the recording. And at one point, Harrison Ford, like during the audio recording, is like, what is this shit? Because <laughs> <laughs> 
Harrison Ford is an actor, like, if he doesn't like something, he's going to tell you really, really quick. Like, that guy doesn't beat around the bush, right? Yeah. Um, But uh, just interesting dynamic with the different cuts. And I think there's something like 20 different cuts of the movie. But final scene, uh, Richard Decker having his life spared um, now makes his way back to his apartment where he finds Rachel. And... Uh, now knowing that she is also a Nexus model, right? And that she only has a limited amount of time. He decides, I love this replicant. I love this woman. And uh, he's very cautious going out. And he basically decides, like, I'm going to run away with you. Yep. And uh, right before he leaves, he finds the little origami of uh, the, the other detective, who I think may yep. also be a Gaff. Blade Runner. Yeah, Gaff as well. Um, knowing that, oh, oh my God, he was here too. Like they know, and, yeah. and you hear that line, like you know, it's too bad she won't live. But then again, yeah. who does? And they who go does? into the elevator, it shuts, and you get that ending Blade Runner thing. That oh man, my hair is standing up, man. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, dude. It's a fucking fantastic movie. Fantastic movie, and inspired so much stuff. Like, yeah, like I don't know if a lot of things that you watch, Nikos, like. What things have you seen Blade Runner inspire? I mean, it's inspired an entire genre of music. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Very like, true. I would honestly say as much as I, I've i seen Blade Runner presented to me in like movies, like really, I... I, I find the comparison more in just like the the music and I feel like as much as the movie was popular, I feel like the score and like the sound is what really resonated with me more, uh, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely. That makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, so it's like I, I appreciate what sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you're I, good. Uh, I appreciate what like this movie did for like synthwave music and all this music is you, you very look Blade at Runner like, based. look at my Instagram timeline right now. There's so many synthwave playlists, or that or it's just cyberpunk, futuristic, you know, cyberpunk. It's like it inspired an entire genre. Look at the background of my thing right now. Look yeah. at the look at our poster here on the right. Like yep. that's all inspired in some way, shape, or form by that movie. Maybe not directly. Maybe just in the poster, it's just the colors or just, you know, our my little background here. It's just the aesthetic like it. it right. It's, it's crazy. And it inspired so many people, um, yeah. especially when it originally came out. Um, but as amazing as Blade Runner is, as popular as it is now, as loved as it is now, it did not do good. When it came out in 1983, Um, this is a book called uh, The Creative Gene. If you can see this in your camera, Nikos, and then here it is on uh, the stream cam. Uh, But this is The Creative Gene. It's a book by Hideo Kojima, who is the creator of Metal Gear Solid, the Metal Gear games, as well as uh, some amazing graphic text adventures, Snatcher, which was directly inspired by Blade Runner, uh, as well as Police Knots. Um, And... Uh, Hideo Kojima is a big, big music and movie buff. Like, if there was a guy we could get on this podcast and just, like, talk about stuff, like, this guy could go, right? Yeah. Um, He's very, very into things. And um, he has a specific chapter about Blade Runner in his book. And he calls it, Do the Masses Dream of Blade Run? 
So that's what they kind of call it in Japan. It's Blade Run, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of do that pneumatic way of saying it. And he's got two quotes from uh, some Blade Runner reviews here. And the New York Times called Blade Runner a mess, gruesome, crammed to the gills with much more information than it can hold. And then the state and the Columbia record said Blade Hunter, Blade Runner is like science fiction pornography, all sensation and no heart. Jesus. Wow. Who are these people? Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet you they're kicking themselves in the ass now if they're still well, around. That just shows you like the mentality of people in 1982. It's sad though, because even the, like they the, can't open their eyes and y- think outside yeah. of, uh, yeah, you, know. you you can't look into further meaning, but that's also the case of uh, Blade the the next Blade Runner sequel too. Like, yeah. same thing. W- we loved it, but it barely didn't do good. It made it whatever in the box office, right? So, and barely it barely made anything in the box office. Yeah, I think. like after like 190 days, I think it just broke like a couple million or something Let's like see. that. It, uh, it was a box off. So, Blade Runner 2049, we're talking about, which is the the, the direct sequel. Yep. Uh, directed by Dennis Belinda Way, the same guy who did uh, Dune just now. Yep. Uh, so let's see. It was only made two hundred and fifty-nine million against a production budget between one hundred and fifty to one hundred eighty-five million. Now you you see the math on that. It's like okay, well they made eighty million dollars. No, they didn't because <laughs> uh, I recently learned <laughs> that essentially. If your budget's 150 million, you might as well double it, right? Based on your advertising, so your that movie took a heavy loss. Yeah, Wh- and it's unfortunate say? because it actually won uh, Academy Awards and it was nominated for a bunch. It, it won Best Cinematography and Best Visual Effects, and yeah. it was nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Production Design. You got to wonder in 10 years, like, will Blade Runner or 2049, the sequel, which we'll get into a little bit here, uh, will kind of get a second life, you know, like 10 years after, 15 years after? Because that's the thing that Kojima really brings up. One, he brings up that it inspired the hell out of him, right? It was nothing like he'd ever seen before. Um, But he watched it like among two or three other people in a Japanese theater, right? This whole theater was empty. No one liked it. No one appreciated it. And then it came out again on DVD in like 95, 96, something like that. And you had all of these new people, all of these younger people, and then people that originally watched it that loved it, like got together and it was a complete opposite. And it was like a celebrated thing. Um, And his point with it is that, um, you know, as amazing as an idea can be, as amazing as a concept, sometimes the, the mass population needs years to actually understand it. And it's so sad uh, because some people like may not be around to actually see their stuff get appreciated for while they're alive, which happens to so many poets or musicians, right? That um, they put stuff out there and it goes unheard or unappreciated for years. And then someone finds it and someone translates the message appropriately Mm -hmm. to people. And then suddenly the eyes open to people. So some really deep stuff there, but Man, it inspired um, it inspired him for sure, and other movies like Metal Gear. Right, is totally inspired by uh, Escape from New York. But uh, Kojima yeah. put out um, Snatcher um, in the eighties on the PC eighty eight MSX computers, and eventually came to Sega CD. 
Uh, this is like one of the, like the most sought after Sega CD games because this was released really late into the Sega CD's life cycle. Uh, but same thing. Um, it has like the spinners from Blade Runner, yeah. the flying vehicles, basically. Um, you play as uh, a, a junker, which a junker is basically set to kill snatchers, which are robots that can look like full skinned humans. Right. So otherwise uh, known as replicants. Yep. Yep. So. All the the major inspirations are there, um, including a character named Random Hygiel, who it's baddie, dude. It is baddie. It's baddie, basically. Um, I don't know if like they probably no one can see this on the stream, but just like Random Hygiel on um, Google. Nikos can probably see it in my cam. See the, the oh, guy. The, I mean, yeah. even look at both characters. Like, look at the guy in the trench coat, totally yeah. Blade Runner inspired, right? Blade Runner inspired. But yeah. The guy next to him, that's baddie, dude. S- sprinting like a madman, yeah. And look at the front of that. Tell me that's not Blade Runner inspired. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And then look at look at the front of the North American cover and tell me that's not Blade Runner inspired. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> it's a really cool game. I mean, it's a uh, at, at the end of the day That's it's a, it's a text adventure, right? But uh it's cool. It, it's very yeah. cool. So, super 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 inspired Hideo Kojima was by Blade Runner. So, awesome. why don't uh, you take the lead on talking about the Blade Runner sequel? Uh so let's see. Where do I begin? Um <laughs> It was one. It was a movie that I was super, super excited for. Like when I heard that they were making this and that Harrison Ford was going to be involved, I was actually pretty blown away, and had really high hopes. As far as a fan for me, I was kind of want to talk about it before. It delivered. It delivered. On like everything that I could have wanted. Uh, I was emotionally invested. It fit into. The first movie they didn't try to dick around and you know kind of stray too much from the the concept of the original because from my understanding that dennis uh villanueve yep uh he's like that's like was his dream yep he wanted to make this movie that was his he's been trying to get it made for a really long time uh eventually you know 35 years later it got made. Uh, and so to kind of talk about it's uh, set in 2049, obviously, about, I want to say, 25, 30 years after the original Blade Runner. Yep. Uh, and kind of a similar situation. The bioengineered humans known as replicants are slaves. Uh, I believe it's K, that is who. Uh, Ryan uh, Gosling's name Gosling yep. plays. Yeah, he's a Nexus Nine replicant, actually. Yep. Uh, working for the LAPD as a Blade Runner. Yeah, twist there. Uh, Big which twist. Is a twist. There. Yeah. So he's a replicant hunting other replicants. Yep. Essentially. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, there is a situation where a female replicant dies essentially giving birth essentially uh, and it's kind of put out there that like this could lead to a war between humans and replicants like oh my god replicants can produce yeah holy what the crap hell is going on right uh so 
she orders Ryan Gosling's character to essentially retire the replicant child to hide the truth because they can't have a replicant child roaming uh, to give hope to the slaves, essentially. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you want to take it from there? That's kind of how the beginning of the movie movie starts there yeah i'll kind of to take it from that point but uh let me grab you a quotable from the back of the box of this before sure. we get into the rest of it uh, and i'll see if you agree or disagree this is the back of the box from blade runner 2049 blu-ray okay this is from uh peter Dubraj from variety magazine the stunning elegant follow-up doesn't depend on having seen the original nikos true or false Ooh, I had to say false. Uh, yeah, I agree. I thought about that for a second. I was like, yeah, but then no, 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 no. You have to have some sort of knowledge of what happened because there is a twist, obviously, that happens in the movie. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a big twist, basically. So, you know, Kay um, basically goes through trying to figure out, you know, who this birthed replicant is. Right. Yep. Um, you know, the first replicant that he eliminates is Batista. <laughs> yeah. Which was sad yeah. because Batista's character in that is actually very yeah. humble and kind of living his own life, doing his own thing. Yep. Yep. And just wants to be left alone. And wants uh, to be left alone. Here, Agent K just takes him out. Um, yep. it's an, is Agent K men in black, too? Yeah. Okay. I thought so. Okay. I thought so, too. Yeah. yeah. I was like, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Tommy Lee Jones' character. Yeah, yeah, he's got dual roles and du dual universes. Um, but basically leads down to the original story of Blade Runner, right? How this baby is all attached um, with Harrison's Ford character who lives on the yeah. outskirts of L.A., um, out in the desert, which out in the desert. Yeah, yeah. So Agent K basically tracks him down. But there's even some changes in the last 25 years that have happened. Like Tyrell is no longer around. Instead, yep. it's the Wallace Corporation and the Wallace, Wallace. Yeah, and he's he's like taken over and provided kind of his played own by Jared Leto. Yep, yep, exactly. He's blind, right? Which wow. is a key thing that we'll talk about uh, later. Yep. Um, and he basically uh, does not want this to happen in any shape or capacity. He wants to be the like the main controller of this. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, what happens is like they kind of do like a test and they find out that it's the Rachel was yep. the mom. Rachel. Yep. So then he's kind of forced. OK, well, now you got to go find. Right. Deckard. Yep. Yep. So he he finds Deckard. Kay finds Deckard. Uh, Deckard wants again nothing to do with this. Like he's been out in hiding. Right. Awesome scene, by the way. Awesome scene between the two of them when they come together. Yep. Yep. And he's been on his own for a while now. Uh, but essentially, Wallace sends his goons to to abduct Deckard and kind of make him an offer that he can't refuse in some sense, right? Yeah. Uh, just to get the the information that he needs in order to find out who this child is. And that offer he can't refuse is a perfect, almost perfect copy of Rachel that yeah. he brings in front of her, right? Uh, and again, they use like de-aging technology for this scene, mm -hmm. um, but it, she looks just like she did mm -hmm. in the original movie, which is just like a mind-blowing, right? And that's why I disagree with the quote on the back of this, right? Because yeah. if you haven't seen this movie, you keep briefly hearing about this Rachel character, because it's not very detailed 
about no, Rachel. No, no. It's not at all. It's very she, 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 she. They don't call Rachel outright. Like this isn't like a reboot. It's like a direct sequel. Yeah, you have to know what the hell happened in the first one, right? Like that like, whole scene, somewhat of Harrison Ford seeing this new Rachel in front of him, right? Like loses all meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Deckard Great. basically says like. Uh, oh, I forget what the exact line is, but Rachel had green eyes. I think that's what mm-hmm. he says. Right. So he rejects her and Wallace just blows her brains out right there. Right. Yeah. Um, so Wallace realizes that Deckard isn't going to tell him what he needs to know. And I think they're basically sending him out like off world to, to basically just be killed. Yeah. Uh, where Agent K stops that from happening. Um, they essentially leave him to die. Yeah, they essentially leave him to die. Um, Agent K stops them from uh, taking Deckard off world or killing him. Yeah. And it's the kind of the big plot reveal behind this, right, is the entire time everyone's thinking that K is Deckard's son. But he's yes, not. That's, for, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I was like, OK, it's obvious, but it makes sense. Um, but what it ends up being is that the person that is in charge of making memories, if I remember correctly, um, kind of outside the Wallace Corporation, kind of almost like, I don't know, subcontractor, Nikos. Is that yeah. like a fair thing? Yeah, yeah. I would say, say that's pretty fair. Yeah. That uh, can't leave the uh, facility she's in due to like a birth defect, right? Yeah. Ends up being uh, Her- Deckard's daughter. Yeah. Daughter. Um, yes. And Kay, Kay dies at the end, doesn't he? Yeah. So what happens is that that i think it's love the name of that character or whatever oh, the yeah. girl yeah she's taken deckard uh off planet and um k intercepts the shuttle he drowns the girl yeah he kills her but yep. then he's actually mortally wounded so he's gonna die yeah uh ryan gosling's character uh and essentially he basically f- has he basically sets it up. He stages Deckard's death yep. to protect him, to protect the freedom movement that has been going on for the replicants. And essentially, Kay, he, you know, he sacrifices himself. Again, a replicant showing empathy to at, a human. At the end, yep. At the end. And that's when Deckard enters and finally meets his daughter. And that's kind of where the movie ends. Yeah. Ends. Saw it in the theater, man. He, I loved it. I loved it. I thought Fantastic. it was an extra movie. Uh, a yeah. shame that it, it didn't do well. Real, real shame that it didn't do well. But well, I, I know like I've heard people complain, and I've heard like they like from my understanding, it was like Warner Brothers like they gave them a big budget, but then like when it came, there was so much stuff they didn't like about it that they didn't really like give it the full like press tour. Yeah, yeah. Because remember that movie came out, it was kind of just like here's Blade Runner. It wasn't like hyped up like you no. see a lot of movies nowadays so you could a couple tell they weeks were like, lead that uh, was it yeah someone there like didn't like it yeah and didn't pull it to full because i've heard that's what the main complaint is i guess yeah that it's such a such a such a shame that that happened because it's a great yeah. movie definitely check it out folks um yeah. even though it necessarily didn't make uh gangbusters on money no that didn't stop the blade runner franchise from continuing to happen um and most recently we got 
Blade Runner Black Lotus, which was a joint creation by Adult Swim and Crunchyroll. Uh, here we go. Our first animated. Well, not actually first animated because there was a an, uh, animated adaptions. Blackout was one of them. Yep. Blackout, uh, but this yep. was like the first like nationally, you know, internationally celebrated yep. like Blade Runner anime adaption. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't like it at first. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't I like it at you. first. Um, so rather than me tell you why I didn't like it, go ahead. So I think we remember we talked about it and cause you, uh, I was pumped. We were pumped. We're like, Oh, black Lotus is out today. Let's watch it. You watched it. You're like, let me tell you didn't even tell me what you thought yeah. because you were like, watch it. <laughs> yeah. And I, when you tell me that I'm not going to lie, I go into it like, uh, Oh, <laughs> Like, why does Mike want my honest reaction on this? Because I think it's going to suck. You know, and I went into it and it was just like, it didn't look good, in my opinion. I don't know what it was. It just, it looked choppy. And then the, uh, the voice acting isn't good, in my opinion, at least for the English version. So I stopped after the first episode. Not going to lie to you. Yep. Like it was disappointing i watched two episodes on uh, adult swim right yeah. um to, to give you guys a great definition of what the animation looks like for this um if you're a star wars fan or you've seen it um think star wars rebels type of animation yes. right um so you know you don't have like they they look fully 3D, right? But they're not like your traditional anime drawn characters. Like they look very CG, very, very yeah. CG, right? Um, the first thing that turned me off is like Nico said, it was very, very janky. Like the animation yeah. didn't seem smooth. Really and not only was the English voice acting piss poor, but it didn't match the mouth movements. Yes. Really, really bad. And I was like, what happened? Right. Well, to start with, this is a uh, a Japanese engineered project. Right. This came from Japan. It was made in Japan. Right. And I'm not saying that as a diss in any aspect whatsoever. Traditionally, when you watch a Japanese created form of media, when it is dubbed over, it's not good. Like it's yeah. very rare. Like nine times out of ten. Yeah, it's it's very rare yeah. if a dub is good. I, I can name a couple dubs uh, with one hand that I'd like over like the Japanese original. Um, so you take all that, and even though the soundtrack is great, right, and the environments yeah. and stuff that they're in look good, um, you can't get involved with the characters, and that is a very 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 important aspect of Blade Runner is the characters. So I stopped watching it. Uh, recently, Xbox Game Pass gave out a 70-day trial for Crunchyroll, right? And I got that because uh, the new season of Attack on Titan is finishing up. So I was like, oh, I'll catch up on that and and finish that up. And I was like, oh, that's right. Black Lotus is on here. I wonder what yeah. it's like watching it here. I'll give it another chance. Well, one, I don't know if there is a difference in broadcasting from the Adult Swim version to the Crunchyroll version. Or I'm smoking crack, which could be possible. <laughs> but to me, the Crunchyroll so, version looks go with the crack smoke. <laughs> looks way smoother. It looks way way smoother, right? Um, and the second thing is, it is in a native Japanese dialogue, and it matches up so much better with the character models that you can instantly get into the characters again. And 
the voice uh, actors and actresses use for it just like makes sense too. Like, yeah, you can picture that. And if you think about it, um, not everyone in the Blade Runner movies spoke English anyways. There was Chinese, there was Japanese, there's all sorts of stuff. So it's not out of the realm of the universe for that to happen, right? Um, so it was very cool in that regard. And after, it's slow. It's slow. It's yeah. a very slow series, but it starts to pick up about the, the third or fourth episode. Um, and they introduce Wallace Jr., which you see mm. in the Blade Runner sequel, right, as kind of the main baddie. Um, and they explain how he gets blinded. Ellie, the replicant that's like the main character in this, right? She slices his eyes out. Oh, wow. She slices them out, right? Um, and once again, he's a part of her creation and set up this whole thing to have his father killed, basically. So it's like this big mind screw to her and everybody else. So yeah. I don't want to give any more spoilers out. Hopefully that's more enticing to people, especially to see how it fits in with uh, the sequel. But it, it is a slow build. Watch the Japanese version of it. Watch it on Crunchyroll. Don't watch it on Adult Swim, because I think the other thing that breaks it up is um, they had ads, you know, commercials in between it. Yeah. I just think it breaks up the whole uh, storyline and stuff, especially during the cutscene. So Crunchyroll version of Black Lotus or wait, I'm sure they'll put it on Blu-ray. Um, will there be a second season? I don't know. Um, well, I, I read an article. I think it might have been like a Forbes article or something, and they were talking about it. And I guess it did well. Like as That's far good. as being like a commercial hit for them, they were very happy. And I guess that they're, they actually look forward to making more. So um, that kind of, I'm hoping that inspired this new one that's coming out here. Blade Runner TV show. Yeah. What, Blade what? Runner 2099 from Amazon. So that's what, 50 years? 50 years after. Yeah. What do you think about the possibility of it going into like a live action TV show as opposed to like another movie? Better chances, worse chances? What do you think? I think I think the medium as far as these kind of movies, like I don't want to call Blade Runner experimental movie, but if you want to, you could probably classify it in that. And I really think you're going to start seeing really Scott has an idea I want to make another Blade Runner movie. Okay, well, I'm not going to go spend $200 million to make this big budget movie when I can spend $50 million and make it over a 10-part series where you're going to see you know, better quality of acting. You're going to get deeper stories. So I really hope they keep it in the, the TV format. Yeah, me too. I think the medium for that is uh, you'll have more of a captive audience with it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and people can actually absorb bits and pieces of it if they decide maybe not to do it like all in one, like they do it weekly, maybe as well. Yeah. Um, a good opportunity there. Plus, it's going to be an Amazon show, you said? Yeah, it's going to be Amazon. So instant what's access. Gonna be, <laughs> what, yeah. Well, what's going to be a good indicator, and I'm going to judge it, is their ability for Amazon to take this new Lord of, Lord of the Rings okay. show? They're doing that. I want to see the scale. I'm gonna. It's gonna be a good indicator. That series is gonna be a good indicator of what we're gonna get. Yep. For that. Yep. I hope. Hopefully, I mean they they've got big shoes to fill in a world where uh, things like the Mandalorian and Obi Wan and uh, the Book of Boba Fett exist. 
give me I want to say like take the style of what was that Netflix show Altered Carbon Altered Carbon <laughs> take that and yep. go off of that yep use that as your this is the setting this is the boundary this is where we're going to go and if they go that route with maybe a a little more concise story uh be a huge hit i think yep i just it makes me wonder like why though like you got to kind of think about like why do this kind why does this kind of like futuristic thing really not do or why doesn't it resonate with people more is it do you think people are afraid to look to the future or do you think it's just like a we're so ingrained now with our movie taste. It's Avengers, Avengers. It's Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. It's not. I feel like people like the fandom is kind of kind of become this like your Avengers. Are you DC? Are you Marvel? It's just like these universes. Different. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like these intellectual properties that, you know, you can't have one offs anymore. Right. You need to yes. have. Uh, three hour epics and you need to have a timeline that addresses the universe for the next 20 years, right? Like yes. we know the next 10 yes. Marvel movies, like for the next 10 years. Set. I, th- I think that has a little bit to do with it. Um, but to the other point where, you know, uh, are people not excited for the future? It- it- it's hard to say, right? Because if you look back at the original Blade Runner when it came out, like people didn't understand that, right? Yeah. Because I think it seemed to be so far-fetched but i think in today's day and age with all the technology we have people cannot conceptualize what the future is like when you and i were kids right and we watched back to the future or blade runner and we saw flying cars or um you know these billboards big led billboards and stuff like that right like we could actually start thinking about things you could have in the future and like devices that could store music you know Mm -hmm. on your person and uh instant photography right and now right like we do we have this in our hands and so many people take that stuff for granted yeah okay right i was gonna say um that that they they can't look past it because the to a lot of people like the future the future's here right um like now so yeah like even with like virtual reality and like augmented reality and stuff like that like there's so many people that don't get the concept of that right like i Uh, yeah 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 and and i think that that comes down to like uh this is gonna sound horrible i'm gonna offend anybody above the age of 40 (laughs) but like our age group me and you like we're the last age group or we're gonna be the only age group essentially that got to use old technology and get to dabble into new right and use it effectively like not just oh i picked up a rotary telephone like I use that shit every day of my life. Right. Like, and I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> no, I get what I you mean get, though. I, I just get on like a rant sometimes, but it's just like, I, I feel like our generation can kind of see the technological advances no. and we can understand why they're important. You're and exactly The right. concept is cool. And like the reason I was going on this is you're talking about like virtual reality. So, Aileen, if you watch this, it's my uh, wife's friend, Aileen. She's older. She's, I think, 50. And we had her over, and we were playing the VR. And 
to watch her struggle mightily yeah. was I get it. Like I understand why people look at VR like, okay, that's just stupid or yep. that's just scary and I don't want to do this. I don't want to learn this. So I think that has something to do with it yeah. too. And I, I go on that a lot. I, I rant about that a lot. Like that's kind of why I appreciate the time that I grew up in or mm-hmm. we grew up in. Like if you were born in like the 80s, the mid to late 80s or you know early 80s, like I said, you got to – see the true expansion of technology because going from like 60s to 70s the tv is still there right like that's like the main TV movies are the same you get into the 80s you start to see the medium changes and everything and I, I just think that someone being 35 maybe that makes me conceited but i feel like i have a good grasp on yeah you, technology. you, you know the best it, of both worlds because you can appreciate what the new stuff is actually able to do yeah, like I can look back and be like, wow, I had a a brick phone that just had snake. Right. I had a triple press to text message. Like I used that phone. Like that was my, you know, like yeah. and now I get to use this. So I, I appreciate yeah. this now more. Like yep. I remember when it makes me a boomer now. I remember when, you know, like when I had to triple press the A button to get to the C letter. And like, it's just like, it's a different reality we live in now. Think about music, right? Like how the music industry has changed and how that medium has changed. Like, you know, when you took a walk downtown to the comic book store or wherever else, right? That Sony Walkman you had or whatever the off brand was that you could afford at the time that you had one tape in your pocket. And maybe, yeah, and then whatever the tape was in there and you're like, this will get me my walk there and my walk back. Are my batteries strong enough? How much charge do I have? You didn't ask that question back then. You didn't know what the charge was on your batteries. It's like, well, this might be able to play. And then remember, you'd start when the batteries would start going like you'd lose like the playback speed and shit. Yes, yes. And like you'd see like the light would start to dim. Yeah. Yeah. Like like, it'd be like. Yeah. And then. Yeah, there was no oh, like no. 10%. Where's my charger? I only got 10%. Right, right. It well, was like, shit, I got to go ask my parents for $5 to go buy two AA batteries. batteries. Yes. They're going to murder me. <laughs> I just bought you batteries last yeah. week. We just, yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> batteries are expensive, you little bastard. Blah, blah, blah. And I just, I can go, let me go plug this into the charger. You know, like, like, uh. It's a different experience. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think these these movies kind of go back to that, right? Like, yeah. we talked about the original Blade Runner and all its practical effects and what it took to establish that and make that set the tone for so many different things and so many different creators in the future to, to base the bones off that. Yeah. You yeah. know? It's where that was kind of successful from the creator's view. They created the original vision and these people have taken it and expanded it, but still not necessarily the mass audience understands it. Yeah. It's crazy. And that's kind of why, like, I don't know if you saw the thing with Ridley Scott, he kind of like ripped moviegoers the other day that like you, all you guys care about is. Yeah. Franchise. Spider-Man. Yeah. And Batman. Yeah. Like, how many Batman movies are we going to get? Like how many Spider-Man movies are we going to get? Like it's, I'm not going to trash it because I really do love the Spider-Man movies. And, right. I, and I think Tom Holland might be the best Spider-Man. And these are the he best is. Spider-Man movies. Yeah. But yeah, it is getting now to the point where I am tired. I'm getting tired of franchises. I want movies like Blade Runner that are going to push my my boundaries as far as what I think is possible or, or stuff. It's, you know, like it's very sad that 
uh, you know, Blade Runner 2049 because we probably won't get another Blade Runner movie. We won't. At least while Ridley Scott's alive. Right. Like, that was it. Like, that was the chance to start a franchise. It failed, and it sucks that it failed. And it's unfortunate that we're kind of going to be getting stuck with the same hammer, you know, hammer yep. and nail, repeat, rinse, rinse, repeat. Yep. Know? Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, there you go, we folks. Could, we could rant all day, folks. We could rant all day about that. But hopefully, if you guys have not seen the Blade Runner franchise yet, uh, it's something that you will definitely go yes, and check out. Enjoy. Uh, because it is fantastic. And for those of you that are Blade Runner fans, hopefully you enjoyed the show. And, yeah. uh, you know, leave your comments about uh, Blade Runner, either on the, the podcast posting as well as the Facebook posts. Instagram, Instagram for sure. Synthetic underscore logic. Um, we've been hammering that pretty, pretty good lately. Uh, I'm trying to do songs of the day. I've kind of revamped it, started the videos. I think that's a pretty cool touch. So I really hope, uh, everyone's enjoying that. And if you really want, I I would really like your guys' feedback on those things because it kind of directs kind of what we're going to talk about next. We would really love for everyone to, you know, comment or on our post say, hey, can you guys talk about whatever? Yep. Even if it's something that Mike and I haven't even seen. Yep. We'll, we'll go watch it. Uh, we'll go watch it. Yep. You know, it, we definitely want to, we don't want to always just sit here and just beat our chest about the stuff that we like. We would definitely would love to hear what our fans like to hear and what they want us to talk about too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thanks for watching. Again, this will be available via podcast form on any good podcast feed. We turned the video on demand portion on, yes. so this should be available to watch too. Uh, you know, I, Nikos, I got to give you some control of the channel here so you can do like clips and stuff like that. Yeah. But that'd be cool. uh, if you guys missed it, we'll, you'll be able to watch it. We'll be posting about it and uh, be on the lookout because we are going to do a special extra feature here that is available only on Twitch TV and YouTube more details on that don't worry nikos will share all the all the juicy tidbits on that in a in a few minutes uh after it it comes out and right now he's looking at me because he's like mike what are you talking about (laughs) yeah here it is again mike it's it's good trust me okay okay all right folks well until next time take it easy nikos have a great one you too sir everyone have a good night have a good day off tomorrow, everybody. President's Day. Boo. Boo. I have the day off. I Thank don't. You, presidents. The presidents Thank you, have disowned Thanks, George. me. Yeah. Abe. Thanks, guys. <laughs> have a good one, folks. Bye, folks.